Welcome to the Emerging Minds podcast. You're with Sophie Guy, and today I'm speaking with Nicola Palfrey about the research and public health implications of adverse childhood experiences. Nicola is a clinical psychologist and researcher and leads the Emerging Minds National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health's approach to trauma, grief and loss and its impact on child mental health. Thank you very much, Nicola, for joining us today and coming to have a conversation about adverse childhood experiences. Thanks for having me. First of all, I think we probably need to start by asking what are adverse childhood experiences and where did this term come from? Sure. So adverse childhood experiences or ACEs came to, I suppose, prominence uh, due to the work of a couple of researchers uh, and clinicians called Feliti and Ander. And the work came about kind of circuitously. Uh, one of the fellows was working in a health clinic in the States and actually working, it was an obesity clinic. And he found that they had great success rates with their adult clients. However, often when leaving the program, they regained a whole lot of the weight very soon after. And so they did a whole lot of interviews with people, around 300 interviews with clients and did a really comprehensive history. And in the case, as those interviews were going on, he kept hearing over and over again stories of childhood trauma, in particular childhood sexual abuse. This piqued his curiosity. He presented this data at a conference. He was laughed out of the conference. But an epidemiologist came up to him and said, you can't present data on 300 people, but if you do it on 17,000, for example, uh, then you might get somewhere. So they teamed up and that's exactly what they did. So over the next period of a couple of years, they did comprehensive sampling of the clients that came to the Kaiser Permanente Clinic. So this is a private me uh, medical clinic in the States. About 17 and a half of their adult patients, they had their full health history and they did another comprehensive survey which included these 10 questions about adverse childhood experiences. And what they were screening for there was exposure to what we would probably call potentially traumatic events. So things such as living with a parent with a mental illness, with a parent who's been incarcerated, with family violence, with sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, neglect. And then they split them down in some, a couple of other categories to have 10 adverse childhood experiences. And then they looked at the correlation between exposure to those adversities and physical and mental health outcomes. And really what came out was not surprising, I don't think, to clinicians, but I think surprising in its scale. So they had a sample of 70% uh, white and college educated people because they had private medical insurance and they had a really significant proportion of people who had multiple adversities in their life or ACEs and then th there was this really clear stepwise correlation between the number of adversities or ACEs that a person experienced in childhood and their likelihood of poor physical and mental health outcomes. To the extent that at the period of people who had seven or more ACEs in their lifetime had uh, a 20 year difference in their life expectancy. Wow. So there was this seminal study that I think confirmed a lot of what clinicians had seen over the years, a lot of the work that had been done since then around the pervasive impacts of childhood trauma on brain development, for example, and they sort of came together. And, and since then, the study's probably been replicated dozens, if not hundreds of times with different samples. So having a look at those really solidifying the data around early exposure to adversity and then risk of uh, poor physical and mental health outcomes, as well as engagement in work poverty and those sorts of things. I'm a bit curious about 
How did they pick those 10? I think they were basing it on what they would consider sometimes what we call the kind of big traumatic events rather than Mm -hmm. often when we measure adversities, this gets a bit confusing with different definitions with sampling and so forth. So I think they were looking at what they had suspected or what from previous research they had thought would have a significant impact on children's uh, well-being or or going into adulthood. Mm -hmm. Also that some of it was driven I think from those qualitative interviews, those interviews with the patients within the clinic, but I'm not not 100% sure to be honest. Okay. I now switch to thinking about practitioners and I suppose what this information might bring to them and curious to know why you think practitioners would want to know what's useful for them to know about ACEs. I think there's two different angles to that. The first of which is why is an understanding of the link between exposure to adversity or adverse childhood experiences um, important if you're working with children and families and I think with that the the reason that's important for clinicians is it's the core to a trauma-sensitive approach, really. So when we talk about a trauma-sensitive approach to either running a school setting or a clinical setting, the, the fundamentals of that are an understanding of the prevalence of trauma, so how common it is, which is what ACE is, is about if you're screening a population or if you're at intake, for example, asking um, a family about their exposure to ACEs, you get some idea of what that family um, has been exposed to in terms of adversity. And then if you're going to ask about that, you need to understand why you're asking about it. Um, so you want to know the prevalence of adversity and also its impacts or its potential impacts on um, children and families. And for clinicians to understand that really helps them to work in a way that uh, takes account of the whole child, their experiences of adversity, but also the protective factors. So when we're asking about adversities, we also want to ask about what might be the buffering effects of that, what were the strong relationships in the child's life, what was their connection to community and so forth. And I suppose so when we want to know about ACEs, it's not to replace anything else, I suppose it's adding into our understanding of, of the child and the family in their ecology and everything that they've been through up until this period. And then the second half of it, I suppose, is to think about when we know about adversities or adverse childhood experiences and their impacts, and that can be really helpful to share with families when we're trying to work with them to do the best for their children, helping them to understand the impacts of those exposures and what we can do to uh, mitigate against the outcomes. So we can uh, try and change the trajectories earlier on or introduce more of those protective factors because ACEs aren't destiny. Just because you've had exposure doesn't mean inevitably things are going to go badly for you, but we do know that earlier we, we know what's going on and understand what's going on for a child and family and intervene with the right supports, then the more likely we're going to get a better outcome. And how do you introduce or how would a practitioner introduce and have that conversation around ACEs in a way that is sensitive to how a parent might feel and sort of having that information presented to them. Absolutely. And I think that's really important with whenever we question parents. Often uh, we uh, get very attuned as clinicians to a whole ream of really personal questions that we ask people. And I think the first step is for us to know exactly why we're asking those questions. To your earlier point, why do we need to know? What business is it of ours? And not everybody needs to know. So there's particular settings or environments where it may be appropriate for uh, a practitioner to know about the exposure to adverse childhood experience. So say the family GP can be really helpful for them to have an understanding of what a family is dealing with so they can offer the right supports and wraparound services. Also in a a clinical setting more, say in terms of um, 
tertiary care, where you're working with a family in a counselling or, or myself as a psychologist can be helpful to understand the, the context of the family so we know what st supports to go in. So why are you asking the question is really important. And then how are you framing it? Are you just asking it to a parent and they think that you're just writing down a number and judging them against some criteria they don't understand? It's not going to get a great result and it's not respectful of the, the family that you're working with. Rather giving some information around adverse childhood experiences, what we know about them, um, their relationship with outcomes in terms of uh, physical and mental health and engagement, and why we're asking about them is so we can uh, understand the family and offer support. So I think that contextualising is really important. And when you spend a bit of time to do that, you tend to find that people won't feel so judged or resistant, but if you don't do that, they will often find feel very judged because sometimes that's what's going on. And I think when you have that open shared conversation, asking uh, families about what they understand of it, they get it. Because as we know, we all have our own ACEs score. Yeah, if you talk about how many experiences that we've have you grown up in a family that's divorced and somebody had an alcohol or drug problem or a mental illness, uh, somebody had been in jail, there'd been some emotional abuse, all of us have scores, mm -hmm. yeah? Mm. It might be a zero, it might be a 10, but all of us have a score and we bring that into our everyday life, our interactions and our parenting. So you've got a parent with an ACEs score, we've got a child with an ACEs score and we don't want to see it as that. We want to see the understanding that the, the numbers can be helpful in a quick shorthand, I suppose, in terms of greater risk with greater number, but they need to be contextualised. So once we contextualise and spend time talking about it in its whole uh, entirety of it, the child, the family, the person, the community, if you make sure you spend a bit of time with that, that can help reduce that notion of people feeling intruded upon or, uh, yeah, judged. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that leads me to wondering about are there, is there a way that this understanding uh, and ACEs and perhaps screening for ACEs can be incorporated into services and what can you share around how this can be incorporated yeah, at a service sure. level? So it's probably safe to say that we're at the beginnings of that process in Australia around screening for ACEs. I think there's the utilisation of ACEs or other kind of exposure to adversity checklists or those sorts of things in particular services that have been for a uh, around for a long time. They tend to be more utilised in tertiary services such as um, child and adolescent mental health services or child trauma services where there's kind of already established that that's what going on for the family but in terms of you just in a broader setting like like a, a primary care clinic for example or um, in schools it's beginning and it's being done a little bit it's much more established in the US mm -hmm. um, probably about 10 years ahead of us and and increasingly in Scotland and uh, other parts of the UK and again, in like any screening, and I think when we talk to uh, GPs, for example, you know, they have a very particular view of screening and the view of it, and that can be different for different professions in terms of where we see the role of screening and what the purpose of it is. I would say that the strongest evidence is for the use of ACEs screening, as in uniform, people that come through the door asked to participate in a, uh, ask and answering those 10 questions, have you experienced any of these or has your child experienced any of these 10 adversities, is most substantiated in the evidence in things like GP clinics or paediatrician's office, for example, okay. where they're looking at the child top to tail, top to toe, <laughs> um, in terms of their physical health, but also their 
gross motor, fine motor, you know, doing that whole child assessment mm -hmm. um, as they move through those developmental stages and working with the family over time. Then you can see why a screener, let something like ACEs, could add to that pool of information. Mm -hmm. um, they have connection between the, the clinician and the family, they can understand what's going on and it's just one other tool to add to their data around how to best support that family. Mm -hmm. So I think in that environment it's well supported and there's some great examples of that and how and also some evidence around that families find that acceptable. They okay. don't feel like it's um, being intrusive or judgmental because they can see it in the context of Lots of other conversations they're also having about their children and their and their well-being and their physical health rather than just one tick and flick measure of how well their child is doing or not doing. So I think that's where the, the evidence is and I think that's something that we're mindful of is we're looking at trialling this sort of thing in, in Australia and introducing this to some of the work that we're doing is that it has great value I think in some places but on the other end if you're just going to uniformly screen people for something like ACEs or any other thing, anxiety or depression or whatever, we have to be really careful around what we're doing with that. If we're going to do that, what do we do with the data? If, we, if, if it turns out a whole population of young people um, have a high ACEs score in a certain population, what does mm -hmm. that mean? Mm -hmm. What's our response to that? So whenever we're asking people questions, I think we have to be mindful of why are we asking it? What are we going to do with the information? How is this actually going to help that person because mm -hmm. um, otherwise it's data collection for data collection's sake and it's not necessarily in the best interest of the of the child or the family. Mm -hmm. And when you said that it is reasonably well received in the context of a bunch of other questions were you saying that it's been fairly successful sort of as a part of a check like developmental sort of yeah that's right so in um, so in the states they have a slightly different model around primary care so they have they don't have the same level of say uh, general practitioners so mm -hmm. they tend to have their family doctor they would refer to as they go to a pediatrician clinic for example whereas in Australia we would think of um, and forgive me if I get this not exactly correct um, whereas in Australia we kind of think of pediatricians as a very specialist service and you go to the family doctor for those more regular checkups mm -hmm. so in the states it's tended to be in these pedi paediatric clinics which we would probably think of as um, maybe a children's and family centre or something like that where you might go in for height and weight and eyes and ears and immunisations and those kind of regular checkups that a family mm -hmm. go to so in that context yes that's where they've done most of the research around you know so mum might be coming in with um, a child for I don't know, say three-year check and doing some gross motor skills, some fine motor skills, how are things going, how's the eating, how's the sleeping, and, in, and the pages and pages of screeners that often people are asked to do within that the adverse childhood experiences questions would be asked. And so then, and the feedback from that would be given from the clinician, incorporating all of that, including the ACEs data and why you are asking about it, and um, giving, as I said, that context. And often in those clinics, they're actually also asking the parents if they complete an ACE score on their experiences in childhood as well as their own children's experiences. So they can have that conversation around impacts potentially on parenting. And again, that can sound frightening to people, but I think that's the point at which often parents really get it. They can understand how their experiences as a child, what that was like for them, and 
I guarantee most people who have had adverse childhood experiences themselves as a child certainly don't want their own child to go through it. So they can be very open to that conversation okay. about how we know that exposure to A, B and C can increase children's risk of poorer performance at school, greater anxiety, those sorts of things. So it opens up that conversation or that space to say, so what can we do? What can we get in place for your family to ensure your child has the best possible chance to thrive? And the other point about it is, which can be helpful, is the ACEs survey, you get a number. You don't actually know what the adversity is. Uh-huh. So you don't necessarily mm. tick, I experienced physical abuse and my uh, father was in prison. You just get two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my two is maybe different than your two from somebody else's two because the evidence would show we don't need to know necessarily exactly what the adversity is mm-hmm. to offer some support and advice. So sometimes that helps as well that it's not quite that. Now, people may go on to want to talk about it in more detail, but they don't necessarily have to disclose exactly what the ACE was um, for us to have a conversation or to start a conversation about how best to support them. Mm-hmm. This was attempted to be introduced in Australia, wasn't it? Several years ago, was it? I'm not sure. There's been, um, and it tends to differ between state and territory. So we know in Victoria, for example, with their kindy early childhood screen that they do when uh, children are entering kindergarten. Mm -hmm. They do a very comprehensive survey of um, children's development, so they're sleeping, they're eating, their exercise, those sorts of things, and they have had questions about their social and emotional well-being and their exposure to ACEs okay. um, just for the last couple of years, and they've been testing that acceptability uh, with families and with the schools and so forth, and that's um, gone quite well so far. And in the ACT, we'll be introducing that ACEs questions to the ACT, KinderCheck, data for which is for all ACT kindergarten starters mm-hmm. um, as of 2019. Okay. So there's, there's still no uniform approach to it and I suppose that's one of the things that we're interested in looking at is whether or not there is interest and appetite for a national, even longitudinal survey of adverse childhood experiences mm-hmm. because there's a, a lot of um, push for that from different sectors and Also, I think one of the things that the conversations around ACEs that you see in the media a lot, and certainly just today they were talking about it in Wales, it's being positioned and has been in the States for a while as a public health issue. So people are trying to uh, address exposure to adversity or childhood trauma as a public health issue because we know there's such a strong link between poor physical and mental health outcomes the more you have mm-hmm. if and that and we know what can help <laughs> to mitigate it so this is you know early intervention prevention education and so forth really can help mm-hmm. and so that's how serious people are taking it that i think one of the great examples somebody gave was when you look at this data it's irrefutable exposure to adversity is absolutely linked with poor outcomes without intervention Mm. and if that was coming from a water source there would be an outcry Mm -hmm. we would shut that water source down because we know just what the physical and mental cost is let alone the financial burden and trying to get that message across that if we could up here start talking about this getting programs in place to help families and stop then down the track we would all be doing much better Mm -hmm. Mm. I was a little bit curious if you have any thoughts on how 
because there's, there's other frameworks out there. For yeah. example, there's the biopsychosocial model, yeah. trauma-informed pa practice. Yeah. How do, This is another sort of layer of thinking about things. Yeah, How does yeah. it fit with those other frameworks? Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of trauma-informed practice, ACEs would be one measure that you might utilise in terms of a framework or the ACEs research. The whole body of research would be something that a lot of the trauma-informed movement would be drawing on. So I always think of trauma-informed practice as kind of two halves, one of which is the, the, the knowledge, so the understanding, the education, the training of workforces or individuals to understand how prevalent trauma is, how it impacts on children and young people, on their learning, on their development and so forth. And what we can do in terms of our interactions with them, whether a school teacher or a GP or a, a social worker, to work in a trauma-sensitive way, not to make things worse, not to re-trigger, not to re-traumatise. And so a lot of the ACEs body of work could inform that and does inform that. Mm -hmm. um, and so they fit really, really well together. The other half of trauma-informed practice I think of is that kind of lens, you know, that perspective of understanding what I know now about how prevalent trauma is and how it can manifest in different ways with kind of outward externalising behaviours or withdrawn behaviours or getting triggered or hypervigilant, all those sorts of things. Having a lens on a child or, or an adult, as it may be, around what's happened to you or for you in your life rather than what's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And I think the ACEs work is I see it as a kind of pretty solid scientific underpinning or data underpinning behind that. And it's the trauma sensitive practice wraps around a bit more humanity, <laughs> perhaps in terms of how you, what that looks like in, in a face-to-face -face interaction. Mm -hmm. um, and what was the other one you talked about, the link with? Biopsychosocial yeah. model. Yeah, so I think that it's a really, really good point. So the ACEs and a criticism of the ACEs, I think, um, which is merited is that it can be seen as a measure or never want to see it as destiny. So you're a six or I'm a two or it doesn't mean anything in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um, everybody has to be considered in context and the biopsychosocial model is, is a fantastic way of representing that. So I might have three adversities in my life and so may my sibling for example, and we may have completely mm -hmm. different outcomes depending on what is wrapped around us. So we might be very uh, similar within a direct family, but one of us may have more connections with our grandparents or with school teams or have religious affiliations. So those contextual factors or protective factors as well really need to be taken into account. And actually a lot of organisations when they're utilising something like an ACEs framework to screen for adversities are also screening for protective factors um, as well okay. to try and give a much more to make sure that the balanced conversation is there mm -hmm. I suppose that's one of the things that we would always talk about if you're if you're ever going to be, even be talking about ACEs or adverse experiences with a family or with a child or a young person you always want to wrap that around a conversation of and what is going well in your life for you what's protective what makes you feel good because they've got to have a balance and we need to understand the yin and the yang of, a, of, a, of an individual and a family and a community mm -hmm. so that biopsychosocial model is, is always got to have in the back of your mind that there's no one measure that will tell you how a child is traveling or certainly not how how things are going to travel in the future for them mm -hmm. yeah that makes a lot of sense I feel as though we've covered everything yeah, that cool. I was going to ask you. I so went a bit around the world. That was really good. So thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you for doing it. My pleasure. Visit our website at www.emergingminds.com.au to access a range of resources to assist your practice. Brought to you by the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health. 
led by Emerging Minds and delivered in partnership with the Australian Institute of Family Studies, the Australian National University, the Parenting Research Centre and the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. The National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health is funded by the Australian Government Department of Health under the National Support for Child and Youth Mental Health Programme.